the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. Today we'll be discussing the first big signing of the offseason and the shortstop crop, and we are going to forego the most interesting player alive because you fangraph searchers have decided to search for all of the best players, and the best players are not interesting. So we are going to get right to the Marlin Bird to the Phillies signing two years, $16 million. And, you know, you got to be happy that the Mets didn't take him back. Yeah, I'm, I'm super happy with how they dealt with that. You know, get him for a million bucks, uh, let him play for a meaningless two-thirds of a season, then flip him for a future closer and Vic Lack, that's a guy to remember for bullpen guys. And then uh, a prospect, Danielson Herrera, who I think has a chance at being an actual second baseman in the big league. So... I mean, to, to get that out of it, you you, uh, you just say, thank you very much, Marlon Bird, and uh, good luck. It's funny because at the time, I think people were wondering, like, who are these players that the Mets got back? They, they seem like crap. But the fact that there's anything resembling a future major leaguer was a good deal for the Mets, and that's what it seems like they got. Yeah, I mean, Vic Black looked pretty decent at the end of the season. He's got he's got stuff. He's not not great command, but um, you know, I think he's got the gas and, and you know enough, enough whiffs to matter. So even if they just got that out of it, I mean, it was going to be another month uh, of Marlon Bird before he cost sixteen million dollars apparently to retain. So I'm happy with how that worked out for sure for the Mets. So now that Marlon Bird is a Philly, obviously Dom Brown is also locked in. So that's two outfielders. What happens to Darren Ruff? I mean, we know that between those four, seemingly Ben Revere is the only guy that can really play center field. So you can't have a Ruff, Brown, and Marlon Bird outfield. I guess you can because there have been teams that have just been like, screw defense. And uh, the Mariners, for example, who just threw out a bunch of slower guys who are defensively challenged. So it's been done, but it probably wouldn't be the best idea. So what happens to Ruff? I mean, does he just become a bench player now? Uh, well, there's a little note, actually, um, on his page um, where his, uh, his GM says, uh, I think he can fill in for us and uh, he can play in right field sometimes. Uh, what I think what will happen is um, – He's a right. He's a right-handed first baseman, which is uh, somewhat rare. And even with his uh, warts in terms of um, his his terrible, terrible strikeout rate and uh, his um, statue-like defense in the outfield, um, I think that he could really be an asset um, against lefties in particular. Uh, he didn't have a great season against them according to the splits, but. Um, you know what we do know is that Ryan Howard uh, is is having a hard time hitting lefties as he ages. So, at the very least, you can put in Ruff uh, at first base against lefties. Um, you know, or you know, and some of those outfielders are lefties too. So you could do something with uh, with Brown and and uh, and Bird on the same level. But um, I think you'll be a, a Gaddis-like super sub um, that we 
have to ask answer too many questions about. Yeah, I mean, it seems like managers are hesitant to make guys like Ryan Howard, established veterans, full-time platoon players. But let's face it, Ryan Howard can't hit lefties. His highest WOBA versus them in the last three years was just 283 and has declined ever since, 261, 238. So he's pretty helpless against lefties. It would make sense to have an official platoon, but I doubt that's how it's going to go. Maybe he'll get a day off here and there. But, of course, Ryan Howard is getting up there in age, and he's become injury-prone. So he's likely to get injured again, and then Downruff becomes the everyday first baseman, just like he did uh, this season. So maybe Downruff isn't going to see a, a significant decline in potential playing time, but he's definitely not going to be a contender for a full-time outfield slot, like maybe there was a possibility before they signed Burt. Yeah, and not for nothing. I mean, uh, he showed big-time power at different parts of the minor leagues, but then he also showed years where he didn't have the same amount of power. And, you know, if we're going to say that he has big-time power based on 293 plate appearances, um, you know, in his age 27 year, I'm not sure. uh, Basically, I'm not sure that we know everything there is to know about him. He could... He could be a guy, I mean, Steamer projects him for 20 homers and 565 plate appearances, so that's a step in terms of uh, power. And if he steps back at all in terms of power, he doesn't really have the ability to make contact and he doesn't play any defense. So I think they're pretty much doing the right thing with him, which is, you know, he's a guy we have under contract uh, that has basically one skill, maybe two if you count walks, and uh, and we're just going to use him when we need him. All right, let's get back to Marlon Burns. He's now moving to a much more favorable hitter's park. Citizens Bank this year, uh, 104 park factor for home runs from right-handed batters. And his home run and fly ball distance this year was 288 feet, which was pretty good and and well above the league average. So how much of that park move do you think is going to offset the regression everybody assumes he's going to endure? I mean, he pretty much put up a career season, contributed probably to a lot of fantasy championships this year. Yeah, well, uh, if you listen to Mitch Williams, um, 36 homers. I try not to. I think that's a good argument for not listening to Mitch Williams. Um, Yeah, it's hard to tell. It's hard to say. I mean, the problem is that he that he really blew by everything. I mean, he his his past career high in home runs per fly ball was ten percent, or like close to eleven percent, and last year was sixteen percent. So he really, really blew by his career. And I think you're gonna have to regress pretty hardcore back to the league mean, which is around ten percent, considering that's where he was at his career high before. So. Um, I think you're going to move that back to league average, and maybe he gets a tick forward for the park. But um, if I was going to pick a home run for fly ball rate for him next year, I'd probably go 11 or 12%. Um, and I think if I was going to pick a home run over-under for him, it would be 18 Yeah, that's fair. And then, of course, I can question. I can say, well, why 11 or 12%? This is a 36-year-old who should be in the downswing of his career the majority of his career, he spent between 8 and 10% in the home rubber fly ball range. His career is 9%. So why not chalk this up to a complete fluke and just say, all right, career rate of 9%, unless you think that he's truly now a better hitter than he was previously. And if you look at his batted ball distribution, his, his strikeout rate, 
he does actually seem to be a completely different hitter, but you wonder how that happened considering his age. Yeah, you know, he's he, explainable. Well, you know, you know, Jason Coletti had or Colette, sorry. I, I actually I've determined that I'm just going to call him Coletti and uh, he's passed on it. So, well, now uh, he's a member of the Fangraph staff. I'm sure he doesn't mind you calling him anything that you want. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, um, Colette uh, said that, see, I even had to like pause there. That was hard. Uh, Colette said that, uh, you know, he kind of chose, he, he didn't say that, but he kind of intimated that he chose to, to trade contact for power. And if you look at his swinging strike rate, it's, uh, you know, 150%, you know, more than anything before. I mean, he's, he, he was pretty bad at swinging strikes this year, but the power got him a job. Um, so, you know, He's saying that it was an okay decision for him, but then he went and found all these other people where it didn't really work out for them in the same way. So I do think with a little power regression, if he still keeps the bad strikeout rate, we could see a really, really bad season for him. There's a real good chance of a terrible season for him, considering his age, his history, and all that. Uh, and you can't you can't ignore the fact that he got busted for PEDs. I mean, he claims that it was, uh, you know, a, 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 he claims so. So normally you take PEDs and then you get you get man boobs, uh, you get moobs, and then if you try to do something about your moobs, you know, uh, with the drug or whatever, then that shows up and you get busted for PEDs. That's that's sort of that's how Manny Ramirez got caught actually. Um, but uh, you know, with Marlon Bird, he said that he has he has this condition that I think it's called like mastocytis. So I, he's saying that I had the moobs first, and when I took the drugs to get you know to get rid of them, that's when I got busted. And I, I, I hate to laugh at a person's problems, even though people laugh at my problems all the time. Um, I, uh, so, you know, that's a, certainly a possibility. But just considering the fact that he plays baseball for a living, he probably should have checked with his doctor. Will this thing that you're giving me for my moves, will it, will it you know, show up on, on a test or get me in trouble? So I, I'm not sure I totally believe him. And since it coincides, you know, he, he got busted, he comes back, and he has a power career year at 36. I think that you should I, – I can't believe he got a two-year deal. I mean, you know, Melky Cabrera didn't get a two-year deal. Yeah, and the, and the other guys busted. I mean, we'll see what happened with Nelson Cruz. But they were all younger and not as far past their perceived peak as Marlon Byrd. So it is very much a surprise. Even if he wasn't busted for PEDs, it would still be a surprise. It's still a surprise that he got a two-year deal. I mean, this is exactly the type of guy – that GM should be a little wary of and be like, look, we have no idea where the season came from. We're giving you a one-year a one year deal, and if you can prove it's no fluke, congratulations. We'll resign you for another one-year deal until you break down like we expect you to. Yeah, I mean, like vesting options and stuff. But this is kind of funny. I didn't even think about this. You know, Marlon Bird's been an injury-prone player his whole career. Uh, he only has... Uh, Three seasons where he's had more than 500 plate appearances. Yeah, see, I wasn't sure, just looking at his plate appearance history, I wasn't sure if it's injury or because he sticks. Yeah, right. That's a tough one to, to needle out. But, I mean, there are times when he hit 300 with the Rangers, you know, and was playing center field that he only got 460 plate appearances. So I'm assuming that's injury. Uh, I'll, I'll try to pull that up in a second. But if you assume it's, there's some role of injury um, – then, you know, I guess that actually opens the door again for Ruff a little bit. So, um, if you're in a deep dynasty and you've got Ruff, 
you know, you probably can't sell him for much right now because of the signing, but um, it's possible that he's still an asset um, considering Bird's injury history. And Howard's injury history and yeah. age. And, and inability to hit lefties. Right, right. But also with Bird, you wonder if it was a conscious decision. I mean, he ranked seventh in baseball in swinging strike percentage, and he's never swung and missed anywhere close to that often. His contact percentage completely dove, career-high strikeout rate, and that coincided with a, a power surge. So you wonder if this was a conscious decision that I'm old, I don't know what I have left in me, so I'm just going to close my eyes, swing as hard as possible, and see if anything good comes of it. Or if it just happened and it's a fluke. And it's a question worth asking because if it was a conscious decision, I think he has a better chance of repeating this type of a skill set the, either way, the batting average is going to decline. But if he maintains the high strikeout rate, and even if he did make the conscious decision, you still have to regress the the power a bit, but maybe not as much. Then, I mean, maybe you get a full season with 18 to 20 home runs, but batting like 260 or 270 or so. Yeah, and it's certainly possible. I mean, yeah, aging curves say that your your contact rates are going to go down Anyone can actually see that they have gone down for him uh, off his peak. So, and hey, right now if he did, if he gets hurt next year and retires, you know, during the season, he's sixteen million dollars richer for for doing that. So, all right, we just spent almost twelve minutes talking about Marlon Bird. So, so let's move on. <laughs> who would have expected there would be that much to say about Marlon Bird, especially if we? said this preseason that we're going to have a 12-minute discussion. <laughs> All right. I, also think, I also think that uh, what you said earlier should be uh, should be the motto of this podcast. Uh, the best players, they're, they're not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Uh, so let's talk about shortstops. Give me a sleeper at the position. And this was tough for me, so I wonder if it was tough for you as well. I mean, there's one obvious guy, but... Um, a sleeper at the position. Uh, well, I might just uh, re up with Anderson Simmons. Um, I like the I like the power they showed this year. I like I liked your piece on him. Um, but uh, you know, Starlin Castro all the way down there at 22. He's not going to cost anything. And I really think, even if he just hits 10 homers and steals 10 bases next year, I think he's going to hit 280 plus. So uh, I think that puts him, you know ahead of Brian Dozier, who was our 10th-ranked uh, shortstop this year. Now, to be fair, a sleeper in a bus conversation always has to be relative to a draft cost. And obviously, this early, we don't exactly have a, a flurry of draft activity to look at, so we're speculating here. We have no idea if Starlin Castro is going to be cheap enough, if fantasy owners have given up on him completely, that he's going to be worth the risk. I mean, it's possible. He was going, like, third round this preseason so it's possible that fantasy owners are like oh he's still young he's still got power and speed all right we'll drop him to the, the sixth round and in that case i don't think he's much of a sleeper but obviously if he falls much further than that way past the 10th round then yeah he definitely has the chance to be significantly undervalued and that's a tough thing to try to predict is how much he's going to cost and what other fantasy owners actually think that he's going to go or what other fantasy owners are, are willing to pay for him. And, and Castro is an interesting case, because he's still very young. So I really have no idea. Yeah. I think, uh, anything under, 
you know, eight, nine, ten bucks, I'm I'm really interested in them. And um, and I think that I don't know exactly what that lines up with, but I do think that lines up with more than like eleventh or twelfth round. So you're talking about double digit rounds. You're talking about you have most of your your big boppers in place. You're looking for an MI that maybe you could play shortstop if your first shortstop didn't work out, stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I uh, he still made contact. He's still an athletic guy. He's still young. He still managed uh, a ton of at bats, and uh, they weren't great ones. And he didn't steal a lot of bases. But, but I mean, the main thing you're going to get from him are hits, uh, and uh, I still think he can do that. Yeah, I think there are two big questions here. The strikeout rate that uh, increased. He was very consistent over his first three seasons, but it really increased to 18% this year, which is odd because if you look at his swinging strike percentage, it was almost identical to 2012. And his contact percentage, which has been in studied decline, it's only declined slightly. So... You wonder if maybe the strikeout rate was a bit of a fluke since it doesn't completely match up with the swinging strike rate, or if maybe previously, maybe in 2012, it should have been worse than it actually was. I don't know, but given his previous strikeout rate history, you would expect that he's going to improve this coming year, and and that alone will increase his batting average along with a BABIP rebound. Yeah, uh, you know... I think that uh, one interesting thing about it is that um, his his uh, his team was was sort of trying to alter his approach, and so they were, you know, kind of asking him to um, to take more pitches, right? Yeah, to to be more patient and to and to to get on base um, more often. And you, you, I mean, it obviously makes a lot of sense. Um, for for him to do that um, in in uh, in terms of real life value, but it, you know it also maybe doesn't make sense for him as a player because maybe that's just not who he is. Maybe he needs to be aggressive. Maybe he needs to get out there and uh, and 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 do this. So I'm trying to I, I'm stalling uh, if you can't tell. Uh, I'm trying to pull up ESPN is so slow. Uh, ESPN does have uh, pitches for plate appearances. So I'm trying to. Um... Wait, wasn't that in Zimmerman's article? I believe that? that was. Jeff Zimmerman uh, a couple of days ago uh, published exactly this. Oh, and he has the info. This year he took 3.9 pitches per plate appearance, which was a career high. So he yeah. he, he did take more pitches per plate appearance, but it didn't lead to an increased walk rate, which is odd. Well, I think that's what that's where you get the strikeout rate because you, if you take a strike. Then you're all of a sudden you're closer to a strikeout. So, um, you know, there are guys out there that just need to be aggressive. They need to stay on. They need to stay engaged. They need to stay. They need to keep swinging. And, you know, if you look at a guy with Starling Castro's history, he's never once walked at a league average rate at any stop all the way through the minors. I think you just say, you know what, this guy's good. You know he's going to be worth something. A two to three win guy. Maybe he's not going to be a six to seven win superstar because he won't walk and you know has inconsistent defense. But uh, you know he's our guy for now. And uh, unless someone blows us away with a trade offer, uh, we'll stick him in there and let him hit two eighty two ninety with a with an okay on base percentage. I think another big question on fantasy owners' minds are the stolen bases. 
He was never really a very good base stealer, but he was good enough and attempted enough steals in that 2011-2012 he stole more than 20 bases, and that dropped to just 9. So you have to wonder if he's going to rebound. And they're going to have a new manager. I can't recall. Did they hire a new Was it Rick Renteria that they hired as their manager, or was that? Yeah, that's them. Okay, I so... Mean, you know, I doubt that they, as a, as a team, have a very pro steals philosophy. Um, considering Theo's pretty saber saber friendly, um, and uh, you know, if you have a guy that doesn't steal them at a good rate, then he's the first guy to stop stealing them. So, um, I think I would uh, feel much more comfortable penciling him in for ten steals next year. So not much of a rebound, and and that would really cut into his profit potential because then you're you're hoping I mean I don't do you see a whole lot of power upside left or is it more like 10 to 15 home runs and then you're hoping that he can rebound to the 280 to 300 range because if that's it then you know 10 10 eh, it's just not obviously it's not as exciting as what he did in 2012 when he went 14 25 true but on the other hand shortstop sucks and uh, you're looking at Martin Prado hit 280 with 14 homers and three stolen bases. Uh, you know, I think, I think that uh, uh, Starling Castro can do better than that. Or even Zobris, 12 home runs, 11 steals, 275. He was the sixth ranked. And he was only worth nine bucks. That's pathetic. So, I mean, I don't really want to spend a lot of money on, on, on shortstops if they're going to do this. Um, you know, Troy Tulowitzki's numbers. One thing that we are looking at this offseason is uh, the idea of replacement, of, of, of putting replacement level value back in. So, you know, Troy Tulowitzki is Troy Tulowitzki for 446 at-bats. And then you bring in your replacement. Uh, for this, it's Jimmy Rollins. But let's let's say it's Yunel Escobar. So you bring in Yunel Escobar for the uh, at-bats where Troy Tulowitzki was not in there. And your shortstop position in the end um, gives you 600 at-bats with 30 homers and six stolen bases and a 300 batting average. So we, we're, it's a little bit hard to do this because replacement level is so different from league to league, and we don't want to give too much value to injured players because injured players do cause a problem on your team. You have to fill DL slots. You, you don't necessarily – you can't always pick up a replacement, that sort of deal. But, you know – we're looking at putting replacement level value back in, into to the missing plate appearances, and that that might help some of these shortstops. But in any case, they don't they don't look like a bunch that should cost a lot, a lot of money here. And I'm just going to be looking for values, I think, in a lot of them. Um, and if Starling Castro costs me three, four, five bucks and can jump into that nine, ten, eleven dollar scrum in the middle there, then then I'm then I'm cool with him, even if it's you know, not exactly how I would want to go with my own team, you know, like if I was running a real-life team. Yeah, you know, you touched on an interesting topic that definitely deserves further discussion, and that's the adding the replacement level. And I've always thought about that, how you value, a, like, the shortstop. Instead of valuing Tulowitzki, you're valuing the shortstop slot and all the players that you'll be using in that slot, which would be Tulowitzki plus a replacement player when he's injured. And so you value that slot. But I think that most fantasy owners use a flawed methodology because they're, ba- they're adding the replacement level stats to Tool Whiskey and saying, all right, that bumps his value up a couple of bucks. But you really have to add replacement level 
to literally every other hitter as well to get them up to a similar at-bat level to compare them apples to apples. And so that will increase the stat pool and suddenly make the replacement levels uh, stats that you're adding to Tool Whiskey worth less. And, and so that pair of players won't be worth as much when you add a replacement to every injury um, uh, injury prone player to get them up to, say, 600 at-bats. Yeah, and it also makes like the peculiarities of every league very important because if we run this without an M- MI slot and you're playing in an MI slot and you're trying to use this you know, as a value for your own league, it's just not going to work because you know, your replacement level is not going to be Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy Rollins is at least somebody's middle infielder, and you're going to be looking way down the list replacing Troy Tulowitzki with Eric Sogard, you know? And if you put Eric Sogard in on top of Troy Tulowitzki, it, it, it doesn't look much better, you know? Um, and then you kind of, you know, oh, maybe I think I would actually like uh, 617 plate appearances of Elvis Andrews over... Um, you know, 617 plate appearances of Troy Tillitsky plus Eric Sogard. You know, you mentioned Jimmy Rollins, and I actually wrote about him earlier in the week. All of the red flags, and there are a ton of red flags with Jimmy Rollins. However, I'm still slapping the sleeper tag on Jimmy Rollins for next year because I still think that given his draft price, that everybody has already given up. He's too old. He was pathetic this year. Actually, it's funny that he was basically replacement level and he earned 24 cents because he hit 250, had a, a pathetic run in RBI total, only six home runs, and yet he still almost earned a buck because those 22 steals helped. But all the red flags, and I think the fact that you'll be, get, be able to get him for peanuts, I think there's still upside here that he'll be almost a guaranteed profit because I still think he can go 10-20 at the very least. And that's going to have value in even 12-team mixed leagues. Well, all right, maybe 10. I mean, he had six last year. So yeah, that's... and you know what? He did that with a, an average distance of 257 feet, which ranked Jeez. 288th out of 300 batters. Wow. <laughs> also, he had 666 plate appearances with uh, Number of the Devil. Mm, that's not anyway. an omen. Yeah, right, not an omen. <laughs> The, the uh, I love when you can see bell curve things too in a, in a in a guy's career. When he started out uh, at the very beginning of his career, he struck out fourteen to fifteen percent of the time, and then he really whittled that down under ten percent, and now he's back up to fourteen fifteen percent of the time. So, yeah, he might, might strike out more next year. Maybe the power comes back a little bit, keeps him right at two fifty. Um, you'd have to think even in a bad year, he'd steal eighteen nineteen bases. That's uh, uh, that's probably better than Starlin Castro's floor, which we saw this year, which is was much worse than that. So, so yeah, I mean, I don't love him, but taking an NL only league, I can't imagine somebody else who's more guaranteed to be a profit because I, I how how much worse can it get? I, somehow Steamer actually thinks that his BABIP is going to drop to two sixty four and bat and I'll bat two forty one, which would be a career low. I guess that is worse, but they do think his home run total will double, better runs in RBI production, and still steal 18 bases. I bet this line that Steamer is projecting is more valuable than he was this season, and it would push him into positive value territory, and you'd be able to get him for a buck. Well, 
Yeah, okay, if he's a buck, I'm, I'm okay with it. But, you know, just to point out, uh, four, so Derek Jeter is four years older than Jimmy Rollins. And five years ago, Derek Jeter hit 334 with 18 homers and 30 stolen bases. So that was, that was his year like Rollins' year last year. And then the next year, Derek Jeter hit 270 with 10 homers and 18 stolen bases. And he's been pretty terrible ever since. So... I, he did have an okay year in 2012. Um, it could get worse, is all I'm saying. He could be injured for half the season. Yeah, uh, injury concern is definitely a worry, playing shortstop and just being older. But that goes out the window at a dollar. I mean, you're right. It, all that stuff goes out the window at a dollar. He's still around. Even, I think, two, three dollars. You're talking about you know a better bench piece than other people's bench pieces. You're talking about an MI that you know could give you six, seven, eight bucks that you're getting for a lot less. So, yeah, that's a that's a decent one. All right, how about a bust? A bust. Uh, I'm not sure that I believe Alexi Ramirez is going to uh, continue to steal 30 bases like he did. I mean, uh, he's 32, and um, or yeah, he's 32 now, and he just hit a career high in stolen bases, and he's not. You know he's not actually a good uh, base dealer, really. So if you take uh, you take that thirty back down to ten, fifteen stolen bases, you know he may not hit ten stone. He may not hit ten homers. You know he may not hit better than two seventy. Starlin Castro could easily outproduce Alexi Ramirez next year. Yeah, he's had a very weird career. Check out that home run regression: twenty-one, fifteen, eighteen, fifteen, nine, six. I mean, if he follows that trend, he's going to be a three home run, forty steal guy this year, because <laughs> that's how math works. He, he's going to look like Elvis Andrews next year, <laughs> and Elvis Andrews was actually ranked third. So hey, he might be a sleeper. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, my and I actually have a bit of an advantage because I found a super early mock draft, and this player was drafted eighth overall, and hearing this, there's probably only one player that you could imagine being draft eighth, drafted eighth in a mock draft, and that's Hanley Ramirez. So now we finally have an ADP. Of course, it's only one mock draft, but to compare value to. And I just think taking Hanley Ramirez eighth overall is crazy. So given that cost... I think he's definitely going to disappoint his fantasy owners. Do you agree? Yeah, it's, it might be a little bit of recency bias. I mean, if you gave Hanley Ramirez the end of the season that he had at the beginning of the season and then he crapped out again uh, like he has before at, at the end of the season, then people would be hating on him pretty hardcore right now. So, I mean, he's not gonna, he hit 20 homers in half a season, but... That was crazy. I think it was just an outburst. I don't think that it was necessarily uh, – you can't say he's going to hit 30 next year. It doesn't make any sense. He hasn't hit 30 since 2008. So uh, I think you could pencil him in for you know something like 20 homers, um, you know, 10 to 15 stolen bases. You know, The 345 bat- average came with a 363 batting average in balls in play, so he's not going to have that. So um, – I think, uh, I think I think he's going to be decent, I, and I would actually like him. Cost aside, I would like him as one of the better um, shortstops next year. If you took cost out of it, I would like him maybe ahead of Andrews. 
Uh, Absolutely. I would, I would like Tulo ahead of Andrew, so I'd probably like Segura, Desmond, Tulo as my top ones. Uh, would I take Hanley over Lowry, Zobrist, all those guys? Yeah. So Lowry, uh, Hanley would be a definite you know, third or fourth best shortstop for me. The problem is he's turned into some people's best shortstop or some people's second best shortstop and somebody who should go in the first or second rounds. And I, I just think all these guys, I don't think I see a guy who's a first rounder um, unless you really want to take that chance on Tulo. And uh, even second round, Segura, Desmond, I'm a little nervous there. So I, I think I'm really going to be waiting on shortstops this year. He's also 30 years old, so this is no longer the, the young Hanley Ramirez with tons of upside. So he's coming off of a career half of a season. I don't know what got into him. He went bonkers. But, I mean, his average distance does validate his power surge. 309-foot average distance, ranking seventh in all of baseball. But, I mean, the question is, where the heck did this come from? Is he just finally fully healthy, the healthiest he's ever been? I I don't know, but you can't imagine that he's going to maintain and uh, repeat another 20% home run per fly ball ratio. And, again, age 30, things are supposed to start to decline, speed as well. And he's got an injury history that you can't completely ignore. So, given all the risk factors... Again, that's complete recency bias and just taking the players. It's basically drafting based on what already happened, which is why Chris Davis is going to be a first-rounder. I would never in a million years take Chris Davis in the first round, but what he did this year, he's going to be a first-rounder. And I think this is the problem. One of the, one of the biggest mistakes that fantasy, fantasy owners make is just waiting the most recent season way too highly. And I think Hanley is a, a good example of what's going to end up happening. Yeah, I mean, if we want to do armchair philosophy or psychology, maybe he, um, maybe he was finally engaged. His first good team in a while, um, and you know, when the Marlins were good, he was good. But I just, if that is the case, then sort of shame on him. You know, I mean, it, it's it's not always easy to go to work, but we we do it. You know, um, and if that is the case, then I guess you could say, oh, well, the Dodgers are going to be good next year, but. Uh, you know, he, the Dodgers are good this year, and he still only managed 336 plate appearances. He's an older guy. He's going to get injured. Um, I totally agree with you. That's 100%. All right, well, let's talk about Gene Segura, who is actually the best fantasy, fantasy shortstop in baseball this year, which nobody could have ever imagined. Where does he go from here? Because he's, he's probably going to be drafted, let's say, third to fifth round in nearly all drafts, depending on what – league you're in and I'm sure fantasy owners have vastly differing opinions on him just given his first half second half splits who's that I said I'm sure fantasy owners have vastly differing opinions on him given his first half second half splits sure 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 um Gene Segura oh oh, oh, I thought we were still talking about Hanley for some no no I missed the I missed the sorry I missed the segue my bad Um, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, you know, we, Bar did a good shot, a good job of that by showing graphically how everything sort of fell off in the second half. And, you know, I, I, we, we got a lot of crap for where we ranked him, um, during the season. And I don't think that maybe some people didn't realize that our rankings were looking forward. So they were, you know, where, where Seguro should be for the last two months of the season, not where you know, he should be for the full season. So uh, he did end up still number one on our value sheet. Uh, but uh, if you have him, say, in like head-to-head playoffs or whatever, um, he, he didn't really help you out at the end of the season. 
So how much regression in terms of fantasy value do you see next year? Because if you just look at his counting stats, nothing screams out to me fluke. I mean, 12 home runs, he's shown power in the past in the minor leagues. He hit 10 in 2010 at single A, and his average distance was 292 feet, 10% home run per fly ball. Maybe you regress him to to 9, 8. That's not really going to take much of a chunk out of his value. 44 steals. He's stolen 50 before. He probably will hit atop the lineup again. Excellent contact. Babip, not of, not out of whack. It seems to me, as long as you don't put way too much stock in his splits, that he can do exactly this once again in 2014. Yeah, I mean, he's still in Milwaukee, right? So I feel like that'll give him two or three just enoughs, you know, um, in that park. And then... Um, you know, I think worst case scenario outside of that park, he, he hits like three or four. So now you're at six or seven and then you, then he can hit, he can hit a couple more. So I, yeah, I'd say I'd be okay with 10, uh, you know, putting him down for 10 and, uh, you know, will he steal, uh, 45 again? If he steals 35 again and hits 10 homers and hits 280, like Steamer says, that's, uh, that's going to be number one or number two. I mean, it's more homers than Andrews. Andrews doesn't hit any. Um, he's, uh, he's younger than Tulo and hasn't showed the, the same health problems. Um, and with stolen bases down around the league, you can make a case that his 35 stolen bases are worth more than Tulo 20 homers or 25 homers. So, uh, I think he's going to be very close to, uh, the best. He's going to be, he's going to be the top one or two. Um, you know, Desmond, there's, you know, I wrote an article about how there's definitely risk in Desmond's line. So, um, I like I like his batting average much better than Desmond. Desmond strikes out a lot and relies on sort of above average power uh, to have an okay batting average, whereas Segura just makes a ton of contact and is, and is speedy and has just enough power to make it work. So um, I, I just uh, I'm not sure even with positional scarcity. And does that look like a first? Is that a first rounder to you? No, not a first rounder, but I, I think third round is definitely a fair price. Would I want to take him in the third? No, but I don't want some profit, but I think that there's a good chance that he delivers third round value. Yeah, and he, I think he, well, you know, I haven't actually, I've seen a couple, um, uh, I've seen a couple things, um, mocks where he's um, not gone in the first. So if he's not going in the first, he doesn't have the power of a, of a traditional first rounder. I might take him late second. Um, depends on who I took for first. And, uh, you know, at the turn, I could probably get two five-category guys, and I wouldn't consider Segura a five-category guy. He's not a no-power guy, but he's not like a 20-20 or a 25-25 kind of guy, which I just love getting my first two guys, getting both power and steals from them. And I don't think I would necessarily. But if I, you know, paired him with a huge power guy, it would be really interesting, for example, to take – Chris Davis and uh, John Segura at the turn um, because you would have like 50 out of your first two guys, um, but a fair amount of risk. Yeah, I mean, you're taking two major breakouts from 2013. So obviously that in itself, guys coming off of big years is, is always a risk. But you also look at a 74 runs, and you have to assume that Next year, he's going to be atop the order to open the season and stay there all year. So that should go up. I would imagine that a projection that I might make would be 85 runs, maybe 
90 runs at at the max. So that that should give him some added value. So I, I don't see a whole lot. I mean, maybe, you know, 35 to 40 steals instead of 44 just based on limited track record. You want to be a little more conservative. But other than that, I think he come pretty darn close to what he did this year. And I'm sure most people or a lot of people are not going to be believing in him and pointing to his bad second half, which could present a nice buying opportunity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, you mentioned Angelton Simmons and, and what I wrote about him. And he's an interesting case because I don't think anybody saw 17 home runs coming, but I saw 20 steals coming. And then somebody in the comments mentioned that we probably were wrong to expect 20 steals just based on his poor success rate in the minors. And maybe he was right because he was never really a burner. Do you see more power upside? Do you see him maintaining this? I don't know where to go from here in Simmons and, and whether to expect uh, a rebound in stolen bases or not. Yeah, it was really interesting. When I talked to him about those uh, stolen bases, actually, uh, he said that he just ran to see if he could run. <laughs> like He basically said that he just took off a lot just because you know results don't matter in high A as much, or they shouldn't matter at all, but uh, results don't matter. And, and so he was kind of just testing to see how many bases he could steal and how, how it would be. Uh, and it is interesting to think about him defensively. He is athletic, and he moves well. Uh, but is he fast? Um, I don't know. I, I don't see... He doesn't look to me like an Iglesias type. You know, Iglesias is very fast to the ball. Like, you can see, even in his defense, you can see that he's fast. And, and then you see it a little bit more when he runs around the bases and stuff. But when you... When you look at Simmons, it's more about his arm being so big. And this is another thing he said in the interview. His arm is so big, he's a foreign pitcher and everything, that he can position himself deeper in the hole. That means he gets more hits. And, you know, they can still throw uh, 94 over to first base. He can still get the guy. So uh, I think that he's built a little bit more on, on athleticism, but not necessarily speed, if that makes sense. And uh, so I'm not sure I, I I'm sort of kicking myself now for considering that he would be a 30 stone base guy. I, and I think I was looking too much, much of that number. Um, I think he can he can he'll settle into a guy that steals seven to ten just when nobody's looking. You know, this year they're probably looking a lot because they, they caught him a lot. So I think he'll 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 back up off of that and just steal them, um, you know, when there when there was an opportunity for him. What I found really interesting about your piece was that um, you know he altered his batting his batted ball mix and hit more fly balls and he has this real unique opportunity to show better than league average power while also uh, striking out a very small amount of the time I mean anybody who strikes out less than 10 percent of the time that's really sort of amazing um, in in today's league so a guy that could hit 20 homers and strike out nine percent of the time uh, that's pretty rare and um, you know I know that he has this infield fly ball right but if he irons that out at all what you're looking at is a guy who can hit 280 290 with with 15 to 20 homers and we are as we've been saying shortstop sucks that's gonna be a pretty good shortstop yeah it's weird looking at that batted ball distribution usually it's correlated fly balls and pop-ups so usually the guys who are in the the 40 percent range in fly ball rate near the league leaders, they're the ones leading the leagues in pop-ups. And when you look at the leaderboards, that's the case. So you wonder 
what kind of swing he has that produces so many pop-ups, yet basically league average ground ball, fly ball, line drive rates. It's weird, and he did it also in 2012 with all the pop-ups, so you just wonder if you could automatically expect improvement or if there's something that is going to always be there. Yeah. You know, with line drive rate this year up to 21%, at least according to the stringers, uh, that 18.5 looks like it's almost okay, but it's not really. It's not, that's not a good rate. So, you know, so far he hasn't really shown the, uh, the, the hit tool, you might call it, which is really interesting because he's making so much contact, but he's not, he's not doing it in the way that you would describe a, a guy with a plus-plus hit tool. So um, he's a very interesting guy. Yeah. Uh, if you if you can pay for you know two seventy and fifteen homers next year, I, I think I'd do it. And and the thing is is that if he doesn't really have the stolen base upside that either of us thought he had, he really needs to get that average up. And with that contact rate, it shouldn't be that hard. And then he can luck his way into perhaps a three hundred season. In fact, I mean, I feel like that would be a good bold prediction to say that he hits three hundred this year. But fantasy owners might need that if he's only going to steal six, seven, eight bases, because I probably won't be projecting 17 home runs again, though I think somewhere in the teens is reasonable given his contact rate. Yeah, but I mean, it does have, it has all the ingredients save infinite fly ball rate for, for a good batting average, like you're saying. It's like, what do you, I, I kind of, I put it on, uh, for when I saw on Ian Desmond, I said there's sort of four components to batting average. Uh, one is contact rate, uh, one is power, uh, one is speed and one is batted ball mix. Um, and what he's shown so far, even if you go back to uh, his his debut, is the capacity capacity to do about league average uh, in power, uh, makes a ton of contact, and has a, a batted ball mix that would be conducive to a decent batting average. So, you know, other than the infield flies, uh, and he has enough speed. So it's like he's got everything there. He just needs to iron out infield fly balls. And we haven't really looked at uh, the correlation uh, of uh, infield fly ball rates um, year to year. In fact, you can might hear it in my voice. I am now stalling again as I pull up hitting metrics year to year. And All right, oh. you bring that up. I want to note something interesting. Is His BABIP in 2012 was 310. With a worse strikeout rate and worse power. If you gave him, in 2013, that same 310 Babbitt, he would bat over 300. So Because he, he had so many balls in play, huh? Yeah, because he makes such great contact. But he made improved contact this year, even further improved, plus he had better power. So even though last year he batted 289, he would have batted over 300 this year with the same Babbitt. So the bold prediction, I think, would be very interesting to make, and I don't think it would be a shock for that to happen, but I, I think that he's got to get those infield fly balls uh, under control. All right, so infield fly ball rate um, has a year-to-year correlation around 0.5. So basically, um, infield fly ball rate is as steady year-to-year, a little bit more steady than batting average, and uh, less less uh, steady than fly ball percentage. Um, so I would say he has the ability to improve it. I would not lock him into that. You know, the types of things that are really, really stable year to year 
contact percentage, swing strike percentage, strikeout rate, um, walk rate. Those things are way more stable year to year. So uh, infield fly ball rate is almost half as steady as contact rate. So the fact that he makes great contact, that's something you can bank on next year. The fact that he had infield fly ball problems in his first you know, 700 plate appearances, you cannot bank on that yet. All right, well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us next Thursday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.